You're listening to a podcast from IP. Hello and welcome to another podcast from Injury Prevention, an international peer-reviewed journal. My name is Brian Johnston. I'm the journal's editor-in-chief. Our podcasts focus on work that we have published in the journal. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that in each issue, we identify a paper as the editor's choice. That paper then becomes the topic of our podcast, and it's always free online. You can visit us at injuryprevention.bmj.com and download a copy for yourself. You can also leave comments online and link to our searchable archive and to our blog. Today we're discussing the paper, Data Sharing for Prevention, a case study in the development of a comprehensive emergency department injury surveillance system and its use in preventing violence and alcohol-related harms. This work appears in our October 2012 issue. To talk about the paper, I'm joined now by one of the authors, Dr. Karen Hughes. She's a behavioral epidemiologist and head of violence and nightlife research at the Center for Public Health of Liverpool John Moores University in the UK. Hello, Karen. Hi, Brian. So, uh, Karen, the work that you report in this paper is actually part of a much larger research endeavor. Could you start maybe by telling us something about your employer, the Center for Public Health, and its role in violence research and prevention? The Centre for Public Health is a, a research-based centre. Um, it focuses on a, a wide range of public health issues, but violence prevention um, is one of our key areas of work, as is um, alcohol. We work at local, national, international levels, and we're a World Health Organization collaborating centre for violence prevention as well. We work kind of at a global level to, to bring together evidence on what are the best ways to prevent violence and to disseminate this to kind of um, policymakers and people who are uh, practicing violence prevention at a local level. And then we work at a very applied way within the UK to try and um, help local partners implement effective violence prevention work. So we conduct um, systematic reviews on violence and produce a range of evidence briefings, policy reports, and um, resources for people to access evidence on effective prevention. And at an international level, we're also involved in quite a few um, research collaborations. And then within the UK, we use this knowledge to help local partners understand and address problems with violence. Um, We produce a range of intelligence, such as that that's reported in the article, to help people um, target violence prevention, develop and evaluate um, interventions. We conduct original research studies to look at the um, extent of violence and the risk factors and which groups are most affected by it. And we conduct evaluation studies to identify what impact these different measures are having. So overall, we promote the public health approach to violence prevention, looking at the extent, nature, risks, and evidence-based prevention, and we try and work at all levels to support different partners in implementing this as well. This paper is one of a number that we've published in the journal from your institution and uh, continues the tradition, I'd say, of interesting and important work. In this particular paper, you describe a data-sharing scheme that grew out of the Trauma and Injury Intelligence Group Injury Surveillance System. What can you tell us about that system in the context of this study? Um, Yes, the Trauma and Injury Intelligence Group, um, I'll probably abbreviate it to TIG, started in 2002 um, in the one county in England um, uh, of Merseyside. And there was kind of an understanding um, there that there was no kind of like coordinated system for collecting injury data um, and that we needed better injury data to inform evidence-based practice in the area. So it was established through pulling together a multi-agency um, group from health, criminal justice agencies, um, fire service, the university, 
and it was set up to cover all injuries and a range of different data sources, but focusing particularly um, on data from emergency departments. We initially started with getting just the core data that was already being collected at the emergency departments through their patient administration systems, um, which was general injury categories and patient demographics. And then once that was kind of established, we worked with um, partners in the emergency departments and um, in the um, multi-agency group to identify what data needs they had and then work with the emergency departments to see if we could get these added into the routine system. We started data sharing um, several years ago now, and it's continued successfully um, since then, and it's been used in a, a range of different um, prevention areas and different forms of injury, um, including um, what the, the article talks about is specifically around alcohol-related violence prevention. And the system that started in Merseyside um, has now spread across the northwest. It covers around 30 emergency departments. So what we really wanted to do with this study was to, to focus on one area um, where sustainable data sharing has been, has been developed and is working well, show how it works in practice and what the benefits can be. Can you maybe describe for us how, how does the data collection work and how does the sharing happen? There's a person within the university that coordinates um, the data sharing, and within the emergency departments, the data that we collect are routinely collected by receptionists and by other staff throughout the course of the, the patient's kind of visit there. Um, so the data that we get comes simply from their electronic patient administration system, um, and this records information on, um, you know, why patients are attending, so the injury category, um, how they got to the emergency department, whether it was by ambulance or self-presentation, um, and um, a lot of information on patient demographics. These kind of data are sufficient to get the basic system going, and then we'll work with the, um, the emergency department to enhance their data collection um, based on what needs there are locally. We provide training to the reception staff in collecting the additional data and make sure they're comfortable um, with doing it. And then the data is anonymized by the IT manager, so we don't receive any um, you know, patient names, patient addresses, and uh, dates of birth. And then it's sent to us at the university on a monthly basis. We clean the data, um, we check it for any obvious errors that we can go back to the emergency department and check. And um, we provide feedback to the, to the hospital on their data quality and work with them to try and improve it. And then we use the data to produce a range of different outputs. Um, we produce routine reports on trends and different injuries and patient demographics, etc. We produce themed reports on things such as assaults, assaults in the home, child injuries. And we circulate all of these to um, a range of multi-agency partners um, and also make them available on our website. And it's all governed by, um, by data sharing protocols. We collect the enhanced violence data that's promoted by the UK government um, and we share this directly with community safety partnerships and police um, who are working to prevent violence. And we also have a, a data request system on our, our, web, our website that people, any local partners can ask us to do specific um, analyses. Once we've, um, we've shared the data, we also then collect information back from those who've received it so we can find out what they've done with it so we can then feed this back to the emergency department staff so they know what their data is being used for. So in your experience in developing this system, what were some barriers to successful data sharing and how would you say you've overcome those? Often the biggest Perceived barrier is data confidentiality, um, but in reality, this doesn't need to be a barrier. As, um, certainly in the UK, um, the sharing of anonymized data is supported by legislation and policy, and there's guidance available on this. 
But when we started with our system, we addressed issues of confidentiality by making sure that people understood this legislation and, as I say, developing data sharing protocols that governed how the data could be stored and shared. So this, you know, we really worked with partners to make sure that this wasn't an issue. From our perspective, really, the biggest barriers have been around people not understanding the value of the data, um, not using it properly and not communicating how it's being used back to those that collect it. So if the staff at the emergency department don't think their data is being used or appreciated, um, they won't be concerned about data quality. And if data quality is poor, then people won't value the data and won't be able to use it. So we've really done a lot to overcome this by making sure that there's two-way communication between those who get the data um, and those who provide it. So as I said, collecting um, information from the people we send the data to on what they actually use it for, um, what benefits they've seen for it, and feeding this back um, to the staff in the ED. We've also had um, regular data sharing meetings so that the different partners can, can sit down together and talk about their shared goals, what the data is being used for, any problems, um, and how these can be overcome. As an example, um, in one area we were asking people to, to record where an assault takes place in order to inform um, local violence prevention, if it was a pub, which pub was it, for example. But the police weren't using the data and the reason for this was because they didn't know whether the assault was actually occurring outside the pub where it could have been a taxi ride or inside, so they couldn't use it um, for targeting. So we addressed that very simply by adding a, an extra little field on that if it was a pub, they said, was it inside or outside? Um, and now the police are really able to use that in their, their kind of operational practice. Another issue can be the kind of like the rigidity of some of the information systems in place um, in emergency departments that means that the data fields can be quite difficult to adjust um, and so there can be a cost involved in this or sometimes it's not possible at all. This is more difficult to address certainly in the short term but um, you can still collect the basic data on violence and still this really does have a, a benefit while you can overcome some of the, the issues with changing um, to, to get more data. Finally, another issue can be that Sometimes the emergency department consultants or staff just don't think that violence is an issue in their area um, and therefore they don't really see the point in them dedicating resources to contributing to it. This can be overcome by just opening up a conversation between them and those that deal with violence locally so that they can see um, that in fact there is an issue. But also with our system we cover more than just violence so you know if it doesn't work on one issue then it might be that it can work on another type of injury that is considered more of a problem in that area. Uh, as you may know, I have a somewhat skeptical view of, of surveillance for its own sake, which is what I believe many of these ED surveillance systems become. But you actually point to a number of examples of ED data being used by a range of agencies to target prevention work. Could you describe any particularly successful application? The article describes specifically how we've used the data to target work around alcohol-related violence by identifying the types of data needed by partners, by developing systems to collect this, sharing the data, um, using it to set a multi-agency target for prevention, um, informing um, the targeting of appropriate work, and for monitoring. This is the kind of work that's going on very much um, in many local areas now in the UK, targeting um, violence prevention, um, specifically often for, for policing. But in the article, we also highlight the fact that the data's got application beyond that in terms of, you know, 
the kind of communities um, where people are coming from. So I'll give you a slightly different example of how we've used the data to look at um, preventing child injury. And with this, we've kind of worked with local partners to identify the communities that see the highest rates of child injury attendances at the emergency department. Um, and we've used this to, um, to help them target prevention work within these high-risk areas. So, for example, um, through implementing home risk assessments and distributing safety equipment, such as stair gates. A lot of this work's been done by the local health services, but we've also had the, the fire service using our data to inform their own home risk assessments. So while they're going out and looking at um, fire prevention, they also know that within the particular community that they're going to, there might be um, an issue with child injuries, and they can just be aware of that while they're going around. And if, if they see somebody that might benefit from an intervention, they're able to make referrals, of course, with the, with the family's consent over to child safety kind of schemes. Um, and we've also used the data on child injuries to inform the delivery of um, broader family services, such as those that we have through um, Sure Start in the UK, which is a service bringing together childcare, parenting programmes, early years education and family support, and particularly in deprived communities. So we haven't officially evaluated any of these interventions, although um, the local partners do use our data for monitoring purposes, and we have been seeing reductions in things like child injuries um, over the years when these services have been running. Sharon, you uh, have described data sharing in the paper and along with it an associated and apparently successful multi-agency approach to violence and injury prevention. But one could ask whether data sharing actually fostered this partnership or whether the partnership would have existed and been successful even in the absence of a data sharing scheme. Do you have any thoughts as to the relative importance of data sharing and the success of your work? I think in reality the two things... Um kind of depend on each other. So a multi-agency data system is really the foundation of a, a successful multi-agency response. So a multi-agency response won't be effectively developed without multi-agency data. And without the multi-agency response, then the data is just a way of describing a problem. Certainly from our experience, the use of health data in local violence prevention has put health firmly into the partnership. So traditionally, certainly when we started, there was a lot of work going on to look at um, alcohol-related violence in nightlife environments, typically combining police, um, licensing authorities, local councils um, and other organisations. But health was very much apart from that group. And bringing the health data into this system has really raised awareness on both sides of the key role that, that health has to play in violence prevention, that all the partners want the same outcomes in terms of violence prevention, um, that there's many more opportunities available by adding health into the system, that the intelligence um, that health have adds a, a lot to the work that other partners are doing. And I suppose that by sharing resources and intelligence, um, the response is far easier to kind of implement um, itself. So yes, I think you need kind of multi-agency intelligence in order to develop um, a multi-agency intelligent response, so to speak. So uh, to wrap up, what can we look for in the future? What new or exciting violence and injury prevention projects are you and your colleagues undertaking at this time? We've got a wide range of projects underway um, directly related to this data sharing um, article. We're just starting a larger evaluation of this in several sites in England to try and tease out exactly what impact it has and what factors make it successful um, and looking more broadly about how health data in general can be used in, in violence prevention efforts um, by a wide range of different partners. 
We're also running a number of studies locally, um, including one, an adverse childhood experiences study in England. Um, I know there's a a lot of work done on this in the USA, um, but this is um, probably going to be the first one in England looking at the long-term impacts of child maltreatment and other negative life events in childhood on health and well-being and behaviours such as alcohol and drug use and violence, of course, in the future. And we're also working on a number of European collaborations, including one to look at what factors in bars are associated with alcohol-related harm, and one exploring the provision of sexual assault services across Europe and how these could um, could be strengthened. And we're continually looking at better ways of analyzing existing data and making better use of this. Well, thank you very much. That was uh, Karen Hughes discussing a paper in the October 2012 issue of Injury Prevention. The paper, Data Sharing for Prevention, a case study in the development of a comprehensive emergency department injury surveillance system and its use in preventing violence and alcohol-related harms, is this month's editor's choice. It's freely available at the journal's website. That's all, too, for this edition of our podcast. Please join us in December for highlights of the next issue. And remember, you can always check out our blog for ongoing discussion. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.